Tiana Kwai. My name is Will Appleby, and this is Animal Matters. This is the first episode of SAFE's new podcast series. We're going to talk about the issues that face animals in Aotearoa today and what we can do to save animals from exploitation. Every fortnight, we'll be talking about the latest current affairs impacting animals, the decisions of policymakers and government, and what's happening in our community and the global economy. We want to open up for discussion the key issues facing animals. We'll go beyond the news cycle and dive into some of the complexities that surrounds the exploitation of animals. Each episode will cover some of the latest news stories, what's happening to animals in Aotearoa, what recent developments have been made, any breaking news, essentially anything that animals are being faced with on a regular basis. What's great is this podcast format gives us the opportunity to go a little deeper into these stories. The nature of the 24-7 news cycle and the rapid-paced nature of social media means it's quite difficult to talk about some of these issues in a small soundbite. The exploitation of animals is massive and it's complex. So this podcast gives us a chance to go a little deeper into the issues we deal with at SAFE on a day-to-day basis. Before we get stuck into the show, I should mention that we have a Patreon page. If you like the podcast and want to support us, head to patreon.com forward slash animal matters. You can support the show for as little as $5 a month. And if you want to pledge a little more, you can unlock access to some exclusive content as well. We've been planning to launch this podcast for a number of months now. Leading up to this first episode, I had many plans on what we discussed today. But of course, that's largely gone out the window now that we're in the middle of the worst pandemic the world has seen in recent memory. It's a very unique time to be launching a podcast, but the show must go on, as they say. If you're not based in New Zealand, then I'll give you an overview of the situation we're facing here with COVID-19. As of the 25th of March, the country has effectively gone into lockdown for a minimum of four weeks. All non-essential services have closed and people must remain at home unless they're going out to purchase groceries or medication. Other than going out for exercise, we've been given strict instructions to stay at home to limit the spread of the virus. With the exception of essential services like supermarkets, pharmacies, healthcare, utilities, all businesses have been ordered to close. Those of us who can work from home can continue to do so, but unless your service is deemed an essential service, you cannot operate. Nothing like this has ever occurred in New Zealand in recent memory, and it's fair to say it'll have a substantial impact. Entire sectors of the economy have ground to a halt, including tourism, which makes up a large part of the economy. One sector that has fared quite well during this crisis, though, is agriculture, which has been listed as an essential service. Kiwis still need to eat, so supermarkets have to stay open and they need food on the shelves. So New Zealand's agriculture industry, and more specifically the animal agriculture industry, has been largely untouched. Some of the export markets have been impacted, but otherwise it's business as usual. Sadly, it means animals have been forgotten, and the role that intensive farming plays in the emergence of pathogens like COVID-19 isn't being widely discussed in New Zealand. I'll come back to this point a little later. What we have seen widely discussed, especially in the media, is how the so-called backbone of New Zealand's economy will save us during this economic crisis. As a result, 
Industry groups are taking advantage of the situation and are lobbying for proposed regulations to be put on hold. Federated farmers have been lobbying heavily to defer a number of policy changes, including policies on freshwater management, climate change, biodiversity, Resource Management Act reform, the minimum wage increase, immigration and the Emissions Trading Scheme Amendments Bill. Unsurprisingly, they've caught the ear of New Zealand First MP Shane Jones, who's backed Federated Farmers on freshwater management. He says now is not the time to regulate freshwater. We're going to see a lot of this, I suspect. As the only sector of the economy that's business as usual right now, farmers will likely continue to lobby so they can skirt the obligations to clean up their act, so to speak. Back to intensive farming, though. We know that intensive farming practices create the conditions for pathogens to emerge. Experts have been saying this for years. But until recently, it's fallen on deaf ears. COVID-19 is the latest in a series of zoonotic diseases that have caused outbreaks in varying degrees of severity. Zoonotic diseases are caused by pathogens that can infect humans who come into contact with infected animals. SARS, bird flu and swine flu are other examples. By intensively farming animals, we increase the risk of pathogens like COVID to mutate and infect humans. When we confine hundreds of genetically similar animals in cages and barns under unhygienic conditions, pathogens can infect many animals very quickly. This increases the likelihood of random mutations occurring, the consequences of which we now know are severe. COVID-19 is suspected to have originated from a wildlife market in Wuhan, China, where exotic animals were sold for consumption. Those animals weren't captured in the wild though. They were farmed in intensive farming operations. It's worth pointing out that the consumption of wild animals is not widespread in China. In fact, the majority of people in China don't consume these animals at all. Swine flu caused a pandemic in 2009 and 2010, which spread among pigs, and estimates show that it could have infected up to 1.4 billion people. Outbreaks are still common in the United States, where pigs are intensively farmed. Bird flu was detected in humans in the late 1990s during an outbreak in Hong Kong. Intensively farmed chickens, where they're raised for meat or their eggs, are particularly vulnerable to this disease. Once an outbreak occurs on a farm, all birds have to be killed in an effort to stop the disease from spreading. The emergence of zoonotic diseases has accelerated in recent decades, and it really comes down to the way we treat animals. It's now obvious that the consequences are severe. We shouldn't assume that New Zealand is somehow safe from something like this occurring in our own backyard. We can find millions of chickens in cages and barns. Fowling crates are still commonly used to confine mother pigs. New Zealand is still trying to get a 2017 outbreak of Mycoplasma bovis under control. We have to learn from our past mistakes. We know that animal agriculture contributes significantly to greenhouse gas emissions. We now ought to recognise that it contributes to pandemics. So today on the show, we will be having a chat with Deborah Ashton. Deborah became SAFE's CEO in 2018. A long-time animal advocate, Deborah was SAFE's managing director in 2012 after a 25-year career in film and television. Her love of animals and a concern for the way they are treated led Deborah to work with a wide number of groups wanting to make positive changes for animals. Previously, she served on the boards of both SAFE and the Wellington SPCA, 
and produced and co-presented an animal rights radio program. She also has experience as a journalist. Deborah, welcome to the show. Hi there. Obviously, considering the um, the current climate around COVID-19, obviously we're going to have to acknowledge that in some shape or form. But just to begin with, I want to ask you a rather broad sort of question to kick things off, which is, in your opinion, what is the current state of animal rights in New Zealand? Well, we have an animal welfare legislation uh, designed to protect animals, although uh, much of that um, from our position is debatable. Um, But the animal welfare legislation recognises animals as sentient and includes five freedoms and codes of welfare. Not all of these codes are legally binding. um, So in our opinion, um, they undermine the principles of the Animal Welfare Act Um, There's lots of recommendations in there, for example, which are not enforceable and um, they fall well short of the standards needed to really protect the animals. Um, The Ministry for Primary Industries, which is responsible for enforcement of the Act, um, we believe has a conflict of interest and prioritises the economics ahead of the animal welfare um, so, for example, live exports of, of animals that are being sent to countries with lower animal welfare standards than ours are still being allowed, and that's based on economics rather than even our own rules, you know, of our own animal welfare legislation in New Zealand. So, overall, I guess I'd say that the um, the current state of the rights for animals is probably fairly minimal. Um, there are some animal welfare rules around how you can or can't treat animals. And as I said before, there's the, the, the five freedoms of giving them adequate kind of care, but nothing really, really concrete that I would say protects the rights of animals. So in a nutshell, what you're saying, the the Animal Welfare Act, it recognises sentience in animals, it has to fly freedoms, but the implementation of the Animal Welfare Act and the regulation and enforcement isn't really up to scratch. Would you say that's the crux of the issue in New Zealand in terms of the way that we treat animals? I think if you ask the animals themselves whether or not they thought they had rights, <laughs> I'm sure they would say no. Um, those animal welfare laws that we have are really uh, designed to still essentially allow, um, I guess, humans to manage and handle animals in a way that suits us rather than um, being designed with the animal in mind in the first instance. So that's where I guess um, I'm saying they don't actually have rights. They have welfare conditions um, that humans are supposed to abide by, but they're not really um, putting the animals first. They're, they're putting the needs of humans first. Yeah, that's right. Um, we, we we live in a society, don't we, that is built upon exploiting animals, and especially New Zealand you know, a, a huge sector of our economy is built upon the exploitation of animals. So beyond changing our laws, the Animal Welfare Act is good in a lot of ways, but doesn't go quite so far enough to protect the rights of animals. So where, where do we start? Like, is it a, a cultural change that we have to 
create as well as legislative change? I think it's a really huge change um, and it will take quite some time for us to to really reach the end goal where animals may one day really have rights. Um, But, you know, we're in a country where we still allow our hens to be crammed into cages to produce eggs. We've got chickens that have been raised in barns for for meat, um, intensively farmed. And we've got um, mother pigs forced into um, giving birth and raising their babies in farrowing crates. Um, We're still using animals for entertainment and, you know, rodeo and horse racing and greyhound racing. So, I mean, if we look at where we're going to start, but we actually look at where we are at the moment, um, we're, we're, we're still really abusing animals an awful lot and um, we've got quite a way to go before New Zealand reaches that point where we can really be proud and say that we have the world-class animal welfare legislation or even, um, you know, and that's just animal welfare, that's not even animal rights. Um, I think sometimes we aspire to have um, the rights of animals ensured, but it will be a really, really tough goal to reach, I think. Um, but it's you've, you've got to be aspirational when you're um, wanting to make the best of a situation. You can't sort of say, well, we want to have the best animal welfare uh, laws in the world. We actually want to ensure the rights of animals as well. So we'd like to go even further. And that's a really, um, that, that's going to take some time. Going back now to... Um COVID-19, which I mentioned at the start. So this is the first episode of our podcast series and what a time to, to start it during. At the time of recording, we're, we're still not even a week into our lockdown um, for New Zealand. How has this Im- impacted SAFE? What's Obviously, I know the answer to this, but in your words, how has this Im- impacted SAFE in our day-to-day operations? Well, in reality, I think we're, we're like everyone. It's slowed us down a little bit. It's thrown our plans out of kilter. Um, but I think we're working really, really well. We're used to working with online tools. Um, we, we're based in three different main centres in New Zealand, Auckland, Christchurch and Wellington. So um, we're used to working um, with things like Skype and Zoom. Um, working from home is a whole new ball game for everyone, um, but I think it's working really, really well. Um, we're basically we're still wanting to do much of the same kind of work but we're having to find more creative ways of doing these things and some of those other things we'll have to pick up on when things are back on track again but it does give us time to refine and review and um and and even you know do a bit more research into some of the work that we want to do um moving forward A lot of experts have been talking about zoonotic diseases for years now, and now that we're in the middle of this pandemic, it's become even more increasingly clear that there is a link between intensive farming practices and zoonotic diseases like COVID. What kind of a risk does that pose to New Zealand? I think this is um, a huge risk. I think we've already heard from some of the world experts that um, intensification of farming, bringing animals closely together into the sort of conditions that we do in factory farms um, is, you know, the the perfect environment to create a virus. Um, so it's, 
it's something that we need the government to pay attention to and um, to consider along with all the animal welfare issues associated with um, fat farming and the, um, you know, just the, the general issues for the animals and the health of the animals. This is certainly something that, you know, this is really affecting individual people now. It's not just an animal welfare issue, it's a human issue as well. And I think this is where people are more likely to listen to the message than they may otherwise have been. Um, I think most New Zealanders don't like intensive farming or factory farming of animals, but now that they are aware that, you know, some of these viruses or, or a lot of them, if, if not all of them, are coming from animals, I think people will start to open their ears and pay attention because it's a massive risk. I mean, swine flu is said to have come from pigs being kept intensively um, and the same with avian bird flu. I mean, these diseases have killed people and, um, you know, even even the one where 50 million people died in 1918, um, that was said to be associated with the avian flu. So um, who's to say another pandemic couldn't be triggered again? Um, I think it's a real risk. And if this current crisis has taught us anything, it's that New Zealand is not immune to any of those risks. It can wreak havoc here just as much as it can in any other country. Well, exactly. And we've seen that with COVID-19 where it's just spread um, to, to so many different places around the world. And, you know, and we're all in, all in this situation on lockdown um, trying to avoid catching the virus that essentially came from a wet market. But, I mean... We know that these viruses are not associated just with wet markets. And this is the thing, this is the message as safe that we really need to connect to um, our audience on that it's still a risk, even with all these intensive farms here in New Zealand, where we're giving our animals antibiotics um, to try and keep them healthy in those environments. I mean, what does that say? about the risk of viruses and other, you know, diseases that could be spread. I mean, that says it loud and clear that um, those animals are not healthy kept in those kind of environments. And a- antibiotic use as well in New Zealand, it is, it is a common practice, isn't it, that we feed antibiotics to these animals that are intensively farmed? Yeah, so over... I think it's something like over half of the antibiotics that are used in New Zealand go on to be used in farms. I mean, that's also um, been passed on to humans as well. So, you know, you are what you eat. And if you're going to eat animals that have had antibiotics pumped through them, um, that's going to have an effect on um, the human health as well. So there's obviously the risk with intensive farming practices that it creates the conditions that allow for infectious diseases like COVID to emerge. There's obviously a big impact on animal welfare. What role does the government need to play? Well, I think, um, you know, we we did have an animal welfare minister for a period of time. Uh, She was stood down, but the government never replaced her. Um, I think that's a real shame. This is something that we need the government to take seriously. We need them to have someone in government that represents the needs of animal welfare. At the moment, this sits purely with MPI, which is a clear 
conflict of interest. You know, MPI is set up um, to um, boost exports um, and, you know, economically that can come at the sacrifice of animal welfare. So in the perfect world for us, we'd like to see an independent body that um, has the resources and the powers, the regulatory powers to really and truly represent animals. Um, but at the very least, we'd like to see that minister reinstated. And then in the short to medium term, we'd like to have some good conversations around getting that independent body set up to represent the animals and have um, animal welfare taken away from MPI. Looking to the year ahead, obviously we've touched on how this global pandemic has affected New Zealand and Safe's day-to-day operations. But looking ahead, what is Safe's plans for for the year? Well, depending on uh, how how things go with COVID nineteen, obviously there's a lot of um, holdups on all sorts of things for everybody, of course, and and Safe is no different. Um, we had litigation that was coming up in June this year um, for mother pigs. Um, that may well be on hold, so we, we may not focus on that straight away. Um, but we wanted to highlight the issues around colony cages for the government this year. Um, we want to tell people about how chickens bred for meat uh, are raised. Um, that's, you know, that's a very intensified type of farming. And, um, and you know, obviously that relates into the pandemic scenario as well. Um, we've got live export that the government were reviewing. We were waiting to hear back on what the minister decided to do on that review. Um, and we were also um, wanting to go to the select committee to do an oral submission on our live export petition. So I think some of those things are going to be on hold as far as the government goes and possibly the courts. But in the meantime, Um, We'll be talking about the benefits of plant-based diets, for example. Um, That's very, very relevant right now. I think a lot more people are open to considering plant-based diets uh, given the current situation. Um, And we'll be putting some more emphasis on our education program for uh, young people. Um, We've we've got a really great website. Um, We've got a lot of activities that kids can do during this period. Um, and they can learn about animal welfare and animal rights. So um, there's a, there's still a lot going on for us. Um, I think, you know, we've, you could say how long is a piece of string when you work in animal rights. There are so many issues um, that we can put some focus on and, um, and do our best to represent those animals. The rise of the plant-based diet in recent years has been largely motivated by people's concerns for the environment. Obviously, animal agriculture has a significant impact on the environment. Obviously, health benefits is another motivating reason. Is the risk of pandemics, is that another is that another reason to add to the list of reasons why people should adopt a plant-based diet? I think uh, that people are certainly going to be interested in looking at this information themselves. There's been scientists that have been talking about this for years, um, but they haven't really been listened to. And I think right now it's like it's their time where they're all coming out and saying, we predicted this a long time ago. Um, You can't have your meat without um, some sort of consequences along the way. 
And um, and that's, you know, that's not just coming from us. I mean, we're an animal rights organisation. We're not a human rights organisation. But but this sort of thing is really affecting humans, not um, not just the animals. So we wouldn't be talking about this if, if we weren't concerned about it. Um, but I think, yeah, a lot of people choose to go vegan or have plant-based diets for a number of reasons. You know, it might be religion, it could be environmental reasons, it could be health, it could be animal welfare. Um, maybe now, you know, the risk of pandemic is going to be added onto that list um, because people are scared and naturally everyone's frightened at the moment um, with the possible risk of, you know, catching this type of virus. I mean, it's deadly, isn't it? So it's a huge risk. This is obviously a benefit for the animal rights movement in the sense that it's people less people eating animals, but are animals forgotten during that process when people switching to plant-based diets because of these other reasons? Well, I think the sad reality for me on a personal level that not everyone uh, wants to go vegan or vegetarian for animal welfare reasons. Um, but I think that's a reality that we have to accept. Um, we're not all the same. Some people care more about um, issues associated with the environment or or with their own personal health. I mean, for me, that's okay. Um, if all roads lead to um, benefiting animals because people are eating less animals, I think that has to be a good thing. Um, I'm not sure what the um, real stats would be on the reasons why people um, make those choices. But um, I think, yeah, as I say, um, even if the animals are maybe forgotten and part of that discussion, I think most people who um, care about the environment or do it for their own personal health generally would accept that, yay, I'm still doing good things for animals. Like, um, you know, my primary thing was always for the animals. And when I found out that I was also helping my health and the environment, I was happy because I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm ticking off three things here. This is, this is really good. One of those things I'm very conscious of, but the other two things I'm just doing automatically by choosing a plant-based diet. You have been listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify or wherever your favourite platform is to listen to podcasts. If you want to support the show, head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash animal matters. Until next time, ka kite anō.